Thank you, Robin. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. By the way, I'll say this again on Sunday, but really appreciate all the effort that you made to be here uh, last night. So many of you uh, bought candy, passed out candy. Uh, so many of you stayed and helped uh, clean up, uh, made all the difference in the world. Our team of people that puts that event together just does a great job, and so many of you uh, helped. And, and there's a lot of hands involved picking up and setting up. It, it makes a big difference, amen? Uh, we do have a brief uh, business meeting uh, tonight. Uh, not really a lot of business to conduct, but just a financial report to give. It should be in your Bible in Colossians chapter 1. When I spoke last on a Wednesday, we started a, a book study of the book of Colossians. It is the third in the sequence of four letters that we commonly call the prison epistles. Colossae, of course, was about 1,300 miles from Rome where Paul was imprisoned. The first of those four letters in our Bible is the letter to the Ephesians. It was carried by a man named Tychicus. The second was the letter to the Philippians that was carried by a man by the name of Epaphroditus. The third is Colossians. We're not really told who carried the letter from Rome to the city of Colossae. And quite frankly, I just remind everybody, it doesn't matter who carried the letter. It was the Spirit of God who inspired and moved the Apostle Paul to write the words that we have preserved for us today. And the fourth and final of those prison epistles was written to a man named Philemon and carried to him by a slave by the name of Onesimus that Paul had won to Christ there in prison. Uh, when we talked last time, we learned that Paul had not personally visited the city of Colossae, that the church there and the city was evangelized by other people. But even though Paul had not visited there, his influence there was very strong. In fact, he may have personally trained Epaphras, who seems to have been their pastor. Uh, the city of Ephesus is only about 75 miles from Colossae. Paul spent over three years in the city of Ephesus, and the Bible says of his ministry there that uh, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, of course, that would have included Colossae, and it would have been impossible for Paul to have gone everywhere himself. And so Paul trained men, and those men trained other faithful men, and one of them uh, was the one who went to Colossae and uh, started the church there. And though Paul had not been there personally, he prayed for them, because there in Rome he met uh, or was reacquainted with this man named Epaphras who told him what was going on there. Uh, he spoke uh, about the faith and the love and the hope and the fruitfulness of the people, the believers there in that church. And we rejoiced when we taught last time that faith and love and hope, uh, when they're real, uh, they can be seen by other people. Real Christianity always begins on the inside, but anything that claims to be on the inside is not real if it doesn't make it outside for other people to see and hear. Uh, and though we were made aware of Paul praying, uh, we were not yet told what he prayed for. Have you ever struggled to know what to pray for? In fact, if you're here and you're the per, uh, a person who prays much, well, one of the things that's going to happen, if it hasn't, is you're going to be in a situation 
and you're not going to know what to ask God for. Should I pray for healing? Or should I pray for them to go home to be with Christ to be completely healed? Should I pray that this trial go away? Or should I be praying for grace for me to see what God wants me to see in this trial? Should I pray for someone to be strengthened? Or should I pray for God to show them what they need to see in their weakness? Those are good questions. And because of all of our human limitations, uh, and because of the variety of situations in which we find ourselves, you know, sometimes we don't know what to pray for. Well, in this particular case, Paul is going to give us a little glimpse of what he prayed would happen in the life of these believers in the city of Colossae, people who he had never personally met, people whose faith and love and hope and fruitfulness had journeyed 1,300 miles to Paul. What do you pray for? That's a good question. If you're able to stand, if you would stand, please, tonight, in honor of God's Word, and that's the title of my thought, What Should I Pray For? Colossians chapter 1, we begin in verse 9, says, For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Thank you. you. might be seated. Now, the last time we covered the first eight verses uh, in this book, but verse 9 begins and links what's about to be said with what was said previously. Verse 9 begins, for this cause. And so because of what was said before it, the cause that was before it is what Paul spoke of in the first eight verses. Notice in verse 4, it says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all saints. For this cause we pray for you. They had faith. They had love. Uh, notice they also, they had fruitfulness in verse 6, which is coming to you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it also doth, as it doth also in you. They were faithful. They had faith. They had uh, love. They were bringing forth fruit. He, again in verse 8, uh, talks about their love in, in the Spirit. Because of all those things in the Colossian believers, Paul prayed for them. Now, at first glance, that might not seem to be a very big deal. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, most of our prayers are not focused on people we seem to think are doing well. Most of our prayers are actually focused on people we think are struggling. You know, I will be made later aware in the book of some doctrinal issues that they were struggling with in the church of Colossae. But understand, the general health of the church was good. They were known for their faith. They were known for their love. They were known for their hope. They were known for their fruitfulness. And Paul prayed for them. Uh, we tend, if someone's hurting or sick, uh, if they're away from God, we pray for them. Uh, if someone's going through a valley, if they're struggling, if they're facing some difficulty we're aware of, we pray for them. And by the way, it's a good thing 
to pray for people who are struggling. And we need to do that. But, but you know, Paul wanted them to keep doing well. He knew their spiritual adversary. He knew their fallen nature. He knew exactly how easy it was to fall away from doing the things that Christ wanted them to do and being the things He wanted them to be. Fact is, you and I need to keep praying for those who are doing well in their faith too. People we look to and we say, wow, you know, their faith is strong. People we look to and say, wow, you know what? There's somebody who loves other people. People that we look to and we say, wow, you know what? Wow, they're fruitful in the things of God. You know, we tend to overlook them, but you know what? Paul didn't do that and he prayed for them. Which brings up a good question. What kind of things should we be praying for in believers who are faithful, loving, and fruitful? Listen, it's much easier to know what to pray when someone is deliberately and defiantly disobeying God. You know, pray they would repent. It's much more obvious to pray for when someone doesn't know Christ as Savior. I pray they would believe and be saved. But what do we pray for when we think about people in the circle of our life who, when we look at them, we consider them to have strong faith, and we look at them and we consider them to be fruitful already, and we look at them and we uh, see that they love like only God can love. What do we pray for? Well, notice Paul begins, uh, he prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in verse 9. For this cause also, uh, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Notice that word, that, in there. <laughs> that, that shows us what He desired and what He prayed for. He prayed they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Do you want more knowledge of God's will? I hope you do. By the way, if you're saved and you don't want more knowledge of God's will in your life, something's wrong. Do you pray for the people you consider to be strong in the circuit of your life? Do you pray that they would have more knowledge of God's will? You see, Paul knew these were faithful people, and he prayed they would have more knowledge of God's will. Uh, there's a kind of wisdom. Notice it says, desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You, you, you know, there's a kind of wisdom that only comes from God. Listen, there's a lot of smart people in our world, but they don't have any of the wisdom of God. There's some people in the Lord's church who are pretty smart people, but they don't demonstrate much of the wisdom of God. There's a kind of spiritual understanding that only comes from God. Am I the only one who's ever met someone who's a believer and you wonder, how can they not see what's wrong with this? How can they not see where this is taking them? How can they not understand what they're doing to themselves, to their marriage, to their children? There is a kind of wisdom and spiritual understanding that only God can give. Now, I hope most of us here, if not all of us here, are seeking the wisdom of God. Seeking understanding for ourselves. But I wonder how much we pray for that for those who lead us. I wonder how much we pray for that for those 
who inspire us. I wonder how much we pray for that, for the people in the circle of our life that seem to have it together. Now, I, as I begin to think about my own life, I, I do. Uh, you might not think so, but I diligently seek God's wisdom in my life and understanding. I pray for it multiple times uh, every day. Uh, I try to do pretty well at praying for that for people in my family. But you know, as I thought about it, you know, it made me think, you know what? I don't always pray for that enough for the people that I consider to be strong. I do on my personal prayer list. I have the name and of the leader and the spouse of anybody who leads a ministry in this church. I pray for them by name multiple times every week. Say, why? I can't do this myself. If it were not for faithful, godly people that are part of Bible Baptist Church who do their what they do for Jesus Christ, listen, we wouldn't be here today. Do you pray for them? Do you pray by name for your children's teachers? Do you ever pray for by, for, by name for the deacons? Do you ever pray by name for anybody in the staff other than me? Do you pray for me? Do you pray that God would give me wisdom? Understanding. Listen, I need it. You know, God is interested in people knowing His will. He's interested in people having His wisdom. He's interested in people having spiritual understanding. And by the way, when it, becomes, when it comes to finding God's will, you know, I think too often we think it's this mystical thing and, you know, I need to have some vision and God's going to send me to Saudi Arabia and I need this experience and... By and large, finding God's will is much more practical than that. You know, by and large, when you get to looking for God's will in your life, it really has a lot to do with, how do I treat my spouse? How do I handle my children? How do I handle people who mistreat me in life? When it comes to handling God's will, it has a lot more to do with how you handle the Bible, how you handle prayer, how you handle your relationships. How do you handle your morality? You know, God's will isn't this uh, foo-foo thing uh, out there. More than that, it's very practical. And Paul wanted these healthy, believing people to have more knowledge of God's will, to have God's wisdom, and to have understanding. And I know I beat this drum here all the time, but the written record of God's will for us is in our hands tonight. You want to know God's will for your life if you're an English-speaking person? This book. This book. Keep your hand there. Go back in your Bible to James chapter 1. This is a pretty basic thing for most of you here tonight and probably a reminder for many of you, but I want you to understand that when it comes to yourself, you need to be praying for the wisdom of God. And by the way, God promised to give you wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, 
that giveth to staff people liberally. Is that what it says? No, it says giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given to him. Listen, this is for you if you're a believer. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. He that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Do you pray for wisdom for yourself? I hope that you not only pray for wisdom for yourself, I hope you also expose yourself to the means by which God generally gives us wisdom. Uh, He gives us wisdom by reading His Word. In particular, how about reading the book of Proverbs? He gives us wisdom by asking questions of someone who might know more than we do in some area of life. He gives us wisdom by exposing us to more mature people. Are you teachable? God promised you personally wisdom. In fact, if you go back just a little bit to 1 Timothy, God not only promised wisdom, uh, God makes sure we understand that anybody that wants to know His will can find it. First Timothy chapter 2, in verse 3, he says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, here it is, who will have all men to be saved. Now how, what part of mankind does God want saved? Okay, not just the elect, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. How many people does God want to come to the knowledge of the truth? Yeah, everyone. Listen, whoever you are here tonight, if you're a child of God, God has made His wisdom available to, to you, and He has made the knowledge of His will available to you if you will look in the right spots. We should know that for ourselves. And if you go back to the book of Colossians, Paul here makes us aware of the fact that we should be praying that other people would have this instead of just for ourselves. You know, Paul challenges us to expand the circle of our prayer. Uh, Do I pray for my wife to have wisdom? Yes. Do I pray that God will give wisdom to our boys and our our three daughter-in-laws and our grandchildren all the time? God challenges you and He challenges me to expand the circle of our prayers for these kinds of things to people around us who do have faith, who are loving, who are fruitful, and who have hope in Christ. But it isn't just that Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. By the way, do you want to know God's will for your life? You know, some people don't. You're afraid of it. You've been misled to think that by and large, if you go looking for God's will in your life, it means He's sending you to Indonesia. And by the way, if God wants you in Indonesia, you'll never be happy anywhere else. But by and large, seeking God's will in our life is far more practical than that. And so we next notice that Paul prayed that they would walk worthy of the Lord. As we begin verse 10, notice that word again, that. Remember verse 9, for this cause, since we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, to desire that. That is first request, be filled with knowledge. Notice the second request, verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. 
Paul wanted them to walk worthy of the Lord. Listen, God always loves us because God is love. God's love for us is not on trial based on how faithful we are or not, how well we walk with Christ or don't walk with Christ. God's love for us is unchanging. It is unconditional. God is love. But listen, uh, there are ways we can walk that God does not love. In Paul's prayer, what they would walk worthy of the Lord. And if you stop and think about it, that's quite a prayer request. And it's certainly true that no one can fully and completely walk in a manner that is worthy of Christ. But understand, God doesn't want us just to say, well, since I can't walk worthy of Christ completely, I'm not going to try at all. That's not what He wants. In fact, in a a similar situation, uh, it's a similar issue. Keep your hand there. Go in your Bible to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 and verse 1, uh, John here says to Christian people, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. So he's writing, what's his purpose in writing? He wants them not to sin, right? Uh, and if any man sin, <laughs> we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I mean, he wrote so they wouldn't sin, but understand, though you're trying not to sin, you're going to, and if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And you can go back to Colossians because it's the same exact thing. Uh, We are supposed to walk worthy of the Lord, but you know what? We can't walk worthy of the Lord. And and when we fail, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, there is a de-emphasis on the walk of a Christian in our culture. There, there are a lot of people uh, misusing uh, the word grace and using grace as an excuse for them to kind of walk however they want to walk because God is gracious. God is gracious. But He has a way He wants us to walk. And there's something wrong. When we claim to be Christian and we don't care about our walk. Listen, he's writing to people whose faith was noted, whose love was noted, whose fruitfulness was noted, and he wanted them to walk worthy of that because he wanted them to keep growing. Listen, uh, there should be this growth in all of our life. Uh, uh, My life today should be more holy, more faithful, and more loving than it was five or ten years ago. Not less. Uh, We shouldn't look more like our tattooed, ungodly culture in decline than we looked like it 10 or 15 years ago. We shouldn't listen to more of our culture's ungodly music today than we did 5 or 10 years ago. We're supposed to be walking worthy of the Lord. And as time goes on, that worthy walk has a different look to it as we grow and Christ expects more. We shouldn't be prioritizing our life more like our ungodly culture than we did five or ten years ago. Not if we're growing. Listen, this issue of our walk is an oft-repeated New Testament subject. 
Romans 6, 4 says we should walk in newness of life. Romans 8, 1 says we should not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. Romans 13, 13 says let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says for we walk by faith and not by sight. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And that is just a smattering of New Testament statements that have to do with your walk and mine. Listen, God cares about what we're doing more than what goes on between the walls in this building. God cares about your walk and your school. He cares about your walk and your home. He cares about your walk and your workplace. He cares about your walk and your family because no one knows our heart. All they can do is see what we do and say. In fact, in Colossians, he specifically commanded them to walk in Christ. Look at chapter 2 and verse 5. 6, I'm sorry. He says, For as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Well, how do I walk in Christ? Well, how do you walk in the hallway? Everything you do is controlled by the boundaries of the hallway. How do you walk in this room? Everything you do is controlled by the boundaries of this room. How do you walk in the Spirit? Everything you do is controlled by the boundaries of the leadership of God's Spirit. How do you walk in Christ? Everything you do is controlled by the boundaries of Christ. He says, walk in Christ. Notice in chapter 4 and verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom. Toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Now that word without, it means outside. Walk in wisdom to those who are outside of Christ. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside the church. Listen, I'd be concerned about myself if I didn't care about what I was like in the workplace and only cared what the people in the church thought about me. Our walk matters, and Paul prayed that these healthy, mature People whose Christian reputation preceded them. Now later on, we're going to learn about some of their doctrinal challenges. But listen, their faith, their love, their fruitfulness, their hopefulness in Christ, it was not in question. And Paul wanted them to walk worthy of Jesus Christ. And he wants the same thing from us. Do you ever pray for people in your life whose love and faith and Fruitfulness is strong. Do you ever pray for their walk? That's a good question. You may not agree with this, but my old pastor, when he retired, his health almost immediately got bad. And I'm not God, and so I can't tell you why, but you know why I always thought that was? Is because when he retired and we had a different pastor, people stopped praying for him like they did before. I wonder how many strong people in the circle of our life are held up because we pray for them. Now listen, I'm not saying don't pray for the struggling. I'm not saying don't pray for the weak. I'm not saying don't pray for the broken. I'm not saying don't pray for the lost. We're supposed to, but understand, that's not what Paul is teaching us here. He's teaching about the way he prayed for people who were strong. Do you pray for them? Do you pray for me? 
Do you pray for Brother Joe and Brother Josh? Do you pray for our wives? Do you pray for our deacons? Do you even know who they are? Do you pray for uh, Brother Ron as he leads the children's church? Brother Darren as he leads the master club? Do you uh, pray for Renee as she leads our Sunday school? Do you pray for them? Or do we just take people around us for granted who have said, you know what, God has made me strong enough to step up and lead this ministry. And you know what, we just say, okay, they're strong, they don't need my prayers anymore. That's not true. He not only prayed that they would walk worthy of the Lord and well-pleasing. Notice in verse 10, he also prayed that they would be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Fruitful and doing good. Do you know one of the things our world needs most? People doing good. I, I, you hear me rail quite often against the modern church movement that has stopped preaching and teaching all the counsel of God and only preaches the gospel. Uh, you, you know what? We ought to be glad they preach the gospel. And we ought to be glad because you know one of the things they do pretty well at is doing good. We ought to be glad somebody's doing good in our world. Our world needs more people doing good. But you know, for those of us in a church like this who try to take Bible doctrine and all the counsel of God more seriously, listen, God wants us to do good too. Do you know one of the greatest testimonies of the Lord Jesus Christ when you want to think about who He was as a person was something that Peter said about Him in Acts 10. Chapter 10, when he said this, he went around doing good. Have you ever really thought about that? It wasn't just that he had the courage to preach repentance to a bunch of religious people who didn't think they needed to repent. It wasn't just that he was, had the power to calm a storm or heal a leper or raise the dead. L listen, he was the kind of guy who picked up a paper wrapper. He went around doing good. I can see him crouched over some kid tying their sandal. He, he, he was the son of God. He was a creator clothed in flesh. And yet he just went around doing good. When he saw the floor was dirty and no one on the broom, he got the broom. It was completely different than our attitude as American Christians where we feel like, well, once I know this and once I'm this age, once I have this position, I don't need to do that stuff anymore. Nah, that's not really true. Paul wanted them to do good, to be fruitful, even though they were already doing good and being fruitful. Have you ever thought about this when you think about Paul praying for their fruitfulness. Paul didn't just want to do good himself. He didn't just want to be fruitful himself. He wanted to see other Christians in other churches fruitful. Uh, I don't know if this goes on uh, much anymore. Uh, I know we don't do it here, but I remember in the early years after I, I was saved, we would have competitions with other churches over who could get the most people uh, or bring in the most visitors and, and things like that. And, you know, I participated in some of that stuff. But, you know, the more I've uh, seasoned in life, the more I think about it, we're not in competition with another church. 
It doesn't matter if we're more fruitful than the church up the street. It doesn't matter if I'm more fruitful than you. What matters is that we're fruitful. What matters is that we put our heart and effort into being as fruitful as God will allow us to be. You know, I think Paul would have been perfectly happy for the Colossian church to win more people than he won. I think he'd have been perfectly happy for them to have more preacher boys than he had. I think he'd have been perfectly happy to hear about them discipling more new Christians than he was discipling. Say why? He wanted them to be fruitful. He understood our competition is not one another. And so he prayed for them. You know, if we're not careful, we'll want other people to be fruitful as long as they are not more fruitful than us. We'll want other people to do good as long as they're doing less good than we are. We'll want people to have more knowledge of God until they become more knowledgeable than I am. Okay, can I just tell you this? I hope some of you young men in here, if Christ tarries, I hope you become more knowledgeable of God than I am. I, I, I really hope that. I, I hope God helps you and you put your heart into it to such a degree that you have a more blessed ministry than I had. I, I want that. And, and by the way, uh, the, the young men in our church, you have a big head start on me. I didn't even get saved until I was 24. You have every reason to exceed me. I, I hope you do. And, and though I've failed Christ a lot over the years, uh, he's had my whole heart. Uh, I was talking to Sharon about this the other day. You know, we don't have as much stuff as a lot of people our age. Uh, I don't have, uh, I'm not as skilled at my hobbies as some people are at theirs. I'm not as good of a sports fan as some people are. I, I've given my heart and my life for 38 years to Christ, His church, and my family. That's, that's my life. And can, can I just testify that when Jesus said when we give our life, we find our life? Can I just say, I'm real happy with my life. I, I am glad with what fully given myself as best as humanly possible with plenty of faults and failures. I am fully happy with, that, with what that's produced in my life. And I want that for you. I hope you exceed me. I do. And that's what Paul wanted for them. He didn't just pray for people who were struggling and hurting and jailed and depressed. And He did that. But he also understood that people who were known for their faith, known for their love, known for their fruitfulness, had things they needed him to pray for as well. Do you? If you'd bow your head and close your eyes. Would you use these moments to... Uh...